Since the world's richest man, Elon Musk, bought the social network Twitter, he's halved the number of staff, especially those responsible for monitoring content. Musk says he's for free speech, and that is vital in any democracy. But social media can have a very dark side that radicalises people to acts of shocking violence, often based on religion and race. Professor Shirley Leach of the ANU is the author of the new book, Rethinking Social Media Extremism. I'm a Kiwi by birth. You've probably picked that already. And I was just horrified by the events that occurred in Christchurch in 2019, when so many people, men, women and children, were not just massacred, but the whole thing was live streamed on social media. And the platform of choice, of course, was Facebook. And it led me to start to question the role social media was playing in society and how we as society had regulated social media. And the more you pull on that thread, the more the whole thing unravels. And you find very quickly that we do not have fit-for-purpose laws and regulations Mm. in Australia or elsewhere. We are going to pull on that thread a bit because that is a very useful thing to do. The 2019 massacre at those two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, were an obvious case of anti-religious sentiment that was stoked online. What sort of conspiracies generally circulate online? Every single brand of conspiracy you can think of, you'll find it somewhere online. One of the things that we're becoming increasingly aware of is the role that the social media companies themselves have played in propagating these kinds of conspiracies. So, for example, if you take what has been happening during the pandemic, you've had wild theories circulating about somehow Bill Gates being involved in the vaccine rollout and and implanting things in people via vaccinations. You've had bizarre conspiracy theories that have rolled everything up from anti-Jewish sentiments, racist, homophobic, anti-feminist, you name it. It all gets rolled out afresh with Mm. each new target that the conspiracy theorists find. Shirley, is there a type of person, a personality type, if you like, that is most vulnerable to being ensnared I'm thinking of a case study that you gave in a recent uh, piece for The Conversation, a man called Stephen Ayres. He was charged with disorderly conduct uh, during the January 6th insurrection at the US Congress in 2021. He appeared a pretty average kind of a person, and he was quite honest about what had happened to him. What did happen to him? I think that's a very interesting example. With Stephen Ayres, you really have to look to the role that the social media companies themselves played. This wasn't a guy who'd been deep in extremist ideology. He hadn't fallen prey to groups on the dark web or anything like that. What he had done as a patriotic Republican American was believe his president. And he was receiving messages from his president via legitimate platforms such as Facebook and Twitter, which told him that the election had been stolen, that Biden was going to be arrested, and that he needed to travel to Washington to support his president. And so he travelled to Washington 
at the invitation of the President of the United States, not an extremist group, to support what he believed was democracy. So I think this is a slightly different case. No, but I think, it, as you point out, it does show the capacity of social media to radicalise even the most ordinary people because I think he testified he wasn't into what he thought was extremist ideology. He just says he was hardcore into social media, hardcore into Twitter, hardcore into Facebook. What are the ethical obligations on these big companies, these social media giants? At the beginning, social media companies really espoused libertarian philosophies. They claimed that this was a completely new space and that that as tech pioneers, they should be left to navigate it in a very unfettered way. And this really suited governments because governments and people who were actually drafting legislation and so forth simply didn't understand the technology. So they pretty much handed over to the companies themselves the role of regulating and moderating their own content. That might have been okay when these were niche technologies, but now that they have actually become the dominant form of communication and source of information in society, we really do need to make some changes. And I think some of the recent calls for addressing um, media diversity in Australia and the call for an inquiry, a judicial inquiry into that, if you actually look at what they're asking for, they're really asking for us to do a root and branch review of all of the ways in which we regulate communication media. Well, surely there have been attempts to regulate and indeed tax or charge social media companies, even here in Australia. Just remind us of how they reacted not so long ago. That was a case when they'd brought in the Media Bargaining Code. They reacted very, very abruptly to that threat as they saw it. And so you saw Facebook taking down a whole range of sites in Australia. And inadvertently, they revealed to us just how dependent we were, not just for our entertainment or for our news flows, but also for the provision of a whole range of critical services including emergency services. And I think in the process of that, they laid bare the fact that we really should not be handing over these sorts of critical social functions to a very poorly regulated industry that has absolutely no obligation to provide those services. I've noticed, for example, that uh, some local councils and even public agencies conduct citizen feedback sessions on Facebook. You've got to be a member of Facebook to take part in what should be a democratic deliberation. You mentioned that Facebook turned off access to emergency services as a kind of reaction against what the Morrison government was doing. I mean, what should be the government's response to that? The government's response to that should be to take a step back and say, are these actually different kinds of industries? Have they moved into being a different category of company? In other words, these are like public utilities now. And we really regulate public utilities, industries that provide essential services 
anything that provides something that I guess life depends on are always subject to extra scrutiny and an increased level of regulation, supervision and scrutiny. And we've got the exact opposite case with social media where the laws are incredibly loose and where there is basically industry self-regulation. Is there even a case, Shirley, for a publicly maintained, publicly regulated uh, and in some sense publicly privileged platform that sits alongside these private social media companies if governments are going to impart information, allow citizen participation via social media? Is there a case for a publicly owned version of it? That is an interesting idea. I think it's certainly worth exploring. The immediate thing we need to do is kind of a root and branch review of digital media, social media in Australia. Professor Shirley Leach, her new book is Rethinking Social Media and Extremism. You can download it for free at ANU Press. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.